You remember the days of your invincibility when you were unstoppable? I'm talking the days when you used to read your press papers, you used to read your, your name in the paper and look for it after your high school football games, and you thought nobody could beat you, and you were, again, immortal and invincible. I grew up in the days of the A-team, okay? Now, the real A-team, not this movie that came out a year or so ago. The real A-team, whenever people would get shot and cars would explode, but nobody would die. You, how many of y'all know that A-team? That's the real one, Mr. T? Okay, good. Uh, I like that A-team. You know, that, that sense of invincibility, the fact that you're immortal, you'll never die. And, you know, I, I had an older brother, and I always tried to keep up with my older brother. So I tried to be as fast as he was, as cool as he was. And, and you know, that, that sense of challenge was there. But you never sensed that you would ever die through it all. Until you fall down, skin your knee, and you're bleeding, and you got a little bump on your, on your knee, and then you think you are going to die. But really, you don't face that, that sense of death. Whenever you're a child, you're almost, again, immortal. You're invincible. And then there's something that happens. And for us, and different people, it happens at different times. Sometimes it's more serious. Sometimes it's more dramatic. But you face your own mortality. And you go from being immortal to mortal. And what was it for you? I don't know. It was different for everybody else. Uh, for example, I had this uh, secretary when I was in in, in in college, I was just out of college and, and was taking on this, this job, working at the university, and I had this little work-study assistant, which she just kind of bounced in each day and did her little paperwork, and she'd bounce out. She was always kind of this little bright, bubbly person, this little co-ed girl there. And then one day, she doesn't come in as bouncy. She doesn't come in as excited. And I thought, okay, drama, you know, uh, something has happened in a relationship, and she said, no, no relationship issues, it's biology. And I thought, oh, okay, she's failed a test, she got a bad score, she got a paper, and a good grade on it, something like that. No, none of that. She said, I just came from class, and the lecture revealed to me something about myself that makes me very sad. And this is like a 20, 21-year-old co-ed girl in school, okay, in college. And she said, I realize that I'm dying. I said, what do you mean that you're dying? She said, our biology professor told us that our skin cells don't reproduce like they once did and that, that my metabolism won't work like it once did. And I feel like I'm not going to be this young girl anymore. And this 20-year-old girl was suffering all of this drama inside of her heart because now at 20 she realized she's dying. Does anybody else identify with the metabolism issues that, that she was dealing with? Okay. I do as well. I mean, used to eat like a horse, and now, anyway, we won't go there. The, the reality of our mortality comes upon us at different stages. For me, it actually happened in a very real sense when I was in eighth grade playing football. Whenever just going through the normal two-a-day football schedule and then going into the season, into the school, and arriving, uh, leaving school on Friday afternoon and football practice and saying goodbye to all my, my friends and they're going their way. And this is, I know, back in the dinosaur days when they didn't have texting and Facebook and Twitter or any of that kind of stuff. And you just kind of had to wait till the next Monday to reconnect with everybody. We did have landlines at, at that time, telegraphs or anything. Those were already gone. But we, we, we had to rely on the news of what happened over the weekend to Monday morning. And there was a completely different dynamic when I walked into Oakdale Junior High. I graduated here locally. I walked into Oakdale Junior High, and 
and found that Gary, a guy that I had just high-fived and said goodbye to on Friday, had died over the weekend. He was swimming in Beaver Lake. He was swimming around uh, Prairie Creek Marina, and he reached down under the water and thought he was picking up one thing, and it was not. It was a live wire, and he shocked himself, and he passed away over the weekend. And I can tell you that same gasp that I heard in this room just a second ago was the same gasp that went through Oakdale Junior High. As a little eighth grade boy, I realized that the friend that I thought would be with me through high school and whatever, Gary was no longer there. And I realized my own mortality, that it could have been me. And it could have been you. And for some of you in this room, you've gone through those surprising moments, those glaring, surprising, awkward moments whenever someone you love someone you're connected to, someone who's associated with you, maybe there's someone who's the same age as you, and maybe you were even in a tragic moment of time whenever you survived the car accident, but they didn't. And there's people in this room today that can identify with their own mortality moment. When the reality of their own mortality comes upon them and they, and they, they, they face it head on. And again, that's a morbid thought that if you want to run a date, a first date with somebody, just break out your will, okay? Say, I want to talk about my will for the night. Or talk about your epitaph. You want to to talk about running a perfectly good date? Bring up death. Just start talking about that. That's no fun. We don't like to talk about that. It's morbid because it comes from that idea that I am mortal and I have to face the music that one day this body that I am walking around in won't go anymore. But is there any hope in that? Is, there just, is that just the way it is? And we just all kind of become, become pushing up daisies. Is that all it is for us at the end of the day? And I want to say today the reason many of you are here today and that you're here week after week after week celebrating on a Sunday is because you realize that, no, something significant, something extremely significant changed the course of humanity and put humanity on a different course, on a different light, for a different future. And that course, that event that happened was a resurrection of one individual that would never die again. And it would be that one individual that would drive a death knell in the coffin of death and say goodbye to death. In fact, take your Bibles and open them to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. If there's one passage that you want to study this afternoon and just reflect more on the resurrection, let this be the passage. Because this is the passage that deals more with the resurrection than any other. It is, it is the chapter on the resurrection. It's powerful. It's meaningful. There's a lot to it. I could spend a month just breaking down verse by verse. But you're finding 1 Corinthians 15 and, and just realize that this conversation that we're having now is a conversation that humanity has been dealing with for the ages. It was Augustine who said, talked about the clinking chains of death when he said that I am deafened by the clinking chains of mortality. I'm deafened by the clanking chains of mortality. Plato, a philosopher, long before Christ, said, Shall we live again? I hope so, but no man may know. Is life that hopeless and that that much with no ending and no clarity that there is no hope of immortality? And I want to say that when you're a child and you are immortal, invincible, it's truly out of ignorance. 
and you face a wall, you fall down and you get bumped and bruised or you face a childhood death of a Gary maybe in your life as it was in mine and you realize that you're not immortal. So you step over into mortality and you face mortality and you realize that death is certain. But you don't want to think about it. You don't want to talk about it. Nobody wants to address it. I want to say today that whenever you step into the the relationship with Jesus Christ, you go from immortal in ignorance to mortal in, in knowledge, but then you can step into immortality again, but this time in faith, this time forever, this time for real and not in ignorance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you find Paul shaking his fist in the face of death. He's no longer fearing death. We should no longer fear death because of the truth in this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 says it like this. When the perishable, speaking of ourselves, our bodies, when the perishable, it is perishing by, for, for certain, puts on the imperishable. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And here's where Paul shakes his fist at death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an antidote to death. There is a a, a possibility today. There is a reality today that you can enter into. That you can move from the mortal to the immortal, from the perishable to the imperishable. You can shake your fist at death and you can say, though you may take my body, you will not take my spirit. Though you may, you may try to snuff my life, I will live again, I will rise again. There is hope, not because of anything that we do, not because of some medicine that we formulated, not because of something that we created, but because of one individual at one time in history was able to do what none of us was able, are able to do or was able to do up until that point. And that is to conquer death, to face death, to show us the reality of life over death. And so today we come together collectively in a room to reflect on that, to remember that. And may it cause us for the next 52 weeks of the year to come full circle week after week, day after day, minute after minute, and to realize that the life that I live, the death that I may encounter in the body, is not final, that there is victory. And how does that happen? You have to look at Jesus. Jesus is the immortal one. He is the one who could, who could conquer death. And so let's look today at three ways to approach immortality. One is to look at Jesus. The, the main way is to look at Jesus and then understand that Jesus didn't fear death. He faced it. So you can jot these down if you have a notes. You can just remember them. You can put them in your mind. That Jesus didn't fear death. He faced it. In fact, Jesus would rather attend a funeral, it appears at times, than he would rather attend a sickbed. I don't know what it was about Jesus, but he never got in a hurry when somebody said that they were sick and about to die. There was never any emergency meetings in heaven. Oh, one's about to slip through our fingers, angels. We must hurry down, scurry down, and rescue the dying. You never see an emergency meeting in heaven over anybody's death. You don't see Jesus in a hurry whenever 
the, the, the widow's son Nain, uh, Nan was, was, was dead. And there was a funeral procession going on in, in uh, the, the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. You find that he raises this widow's son. You find that when Jairus' daughter is, is dying, and he's on his way in Luke 7 to see Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter, is come, the word comes back that Jairus' daughter is dead. And he raises her to life again. So whether you're a child or you're Jairus' daughter, or the, probably the most clear story of how Jesus did not fear death was in the story of Lazarus. In Luke chapter, or excuse me, in John chapter eleven, you find an account there where where John, where, where excuse me, where Jesus really doesn't get concerned, and it really kind of blows you away when you look at the story, because Jesus had a very tight relationship with different people. Okay, he was really close to Peter, James, and John, but there's some others that weren't named among the apostles that he was also very close to: Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, all of one family unit. He spent a lot of time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You see it throughout Scripture. The last hours of his life on earth, he spent with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But the interesting thing is that there was a story that came, a, a letter uh, somehow was communicated via Mary and Martha that Lazarus was sick. Now you would think, you would think, I would think, that if I got a letter from a very close friend of mine, some hours and miles and days travel from here, that if I thought that I might be able to get there and I might be able to save him from his sickness, help him in his day of despair, you would think that if I loved that person, I would go and respond accordingly, right? That's not anything what Jesus does. In fact, what Jesus does is he doesn't respond in a hurry because death does not fear him. Death does not create any anxiety in him. In fact, look at the story in John chapter 11. If you will, and you look over there, the words will appear on the screen. But this is what it says in John chapter 11, verse 3. So the sister sent to him, him being Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, notice the, the beauty of that statement. He didn't say Lazarus. He just said the one that you love. That's all he needed to say. That's all that they needed to say, excuse me. And that was all that he needed, and he knew immediately who it was. The one that you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, but we also know that Lazarus died in the body. He says, It is not; it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and Mary, or excuse me, and, 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 this, and her sister and Lazarus. Now, again, we're seeing... Tremendous amounts of compassion, tremendous amounts of connection, tremendous amounts of relationship collateral here. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, all of them, they all love each other. They're all very connected. But now look what Jesus does. It's totally uncompassionate of him. And when he heard of this, of Lazarus' illness, uh, was ill, he stayed two days longer. He'd stay two days longer in the place where he was. Now, is that not the most unsympathetic response you've ever seen from Jesus? He loves them. He's relationally connected to them. His friend is dying. And by the time Jesus eventually gets there, he's dead and been dead for four days. Now, wouldn't you think if Jesus was really loving him, he would have rescued him and not allowed him to die? 
if you have a very bookend view of life, that life begins and ends, and that's all there is, then yes. But notice this. Notice the statement in in, in verse 4. He says, it is for the glory of God. See, the bigger picture is what God's about, and He is not fearful of death. He overcomes death. Death does not disturb Him. There aren't emergency meetings in heaven. In fact, when He got there and He encountered Martha, who had just helped to bury Lazarus, Martha was almost disturbed. You can almost read it in the text. You read it in chapter 11 on your own time. And Jesus turns to her and He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's my nature. It's the quality of who I am. I'm the one. This is why he wasn't concerned. This is why death doesn't bother him. That the very one, Jesus, is a part of his nature. You want to poke Jesus and know who he is, what comes out of him is resurrection and life. That's why it doesn't bother him. When you see death and we fear death and we don't want to talk about death. And, but Jesus faces it because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who brings life to death. He is the one who brings life back when people are dead. He conquers it. He overcomes it. There's a life principle for us all here. Jesus is the creator and the curator of our life. He is the creator and He is the curator of our life. He's sustaining us. He's keeping us going for as long as He desires. He does not fear death. He faces it. Now, I know that it's not real comforting whenever you face death and you, you're with somebody in that dying moment and you don't have the power to save and to heal. But the reality is that death is a reality to us all. I don't care who you are. I don't normally quote from Metallica, but I will today. Lars Urich, the drummer for Metallica, said this. He said, the last thing that I've been unable to control is my quest to control everything around me is death. You know, we can't control death. And this became another time that became a reality to me, the, the reality of life and death. And, and I say this because I grew up in northwest Arkansas, but it actually was a, it was a meaningful time. It was a, it was a meaningful time in the sense of a spiritual moment. It was whenever Sam Walton died. I can, I can remember thinking, here's the richest man in the world who could throw any amount of money at health. If anybody had money to buy life, it would be him. A good man. A man who has obviously shaped Northwest Arkansas and even the retail world. And here's a good man, and yet his life is gone and he has all the money. It just shows us that life is short. The statistics are amazing. Okay? Listen to this. It may blow you away, but listen to this. One out of every one person dies. I know it. I was shocked when I read it myself. But it's the reality. And so sometimes we tippy-toe up to the line of death and we're fear, afraid, fearful of death and we don't like death. But listen, we have a Savior who faces death and stares it down. We have Paul who writes and says he shakes his fist at death and he says death has no sting any longer. I want us to also understand the second way that we move into immortality is that Jesus didn't simply encounter death, but He conquered death. Very important. 
Second point, Jesus didn't simply encounter death. He conquered death. There'll be a screen. There it is. All right. You understand Christendom. You understand that, that Easter is the most important day of the year. Okay? It is the most important day on the Christian calendar. Yeah, what about, what about, what about Christmas? I mean, without Christmas, you wouldn't have Easter, right? Well, correct. But without Easter, without the resurrection, Christmas is meaningless. Without the resurrection, all we have is a good moral man who lived and taught us how to to live. And that if we live according to his ways, all we do is make earth a better place to go to hell from. We must have the resurrection. The resurrection is a must. You can't skip away from it. You can't go from In fact, Paul made it very clear again in this same passage, 1 Corinthians 15, if you go back there, verse 17 and 19, 17 through 19, he said this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And, then the, uh, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have Hope in life only. If all we have is hope in this world and in this mortal body, what does he say? We are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul was saying was, you know, the worst day of your life if Easter isn't real, if the resurrection isn't real, the worst day of your life was the first day of your life. Because you are born into a cycle that only ends in death, and that death is a separation from God. And the best thing could have been for you not to have been born if the resurrection didn't exist. People have done everything they can to try to explain away the resurrection. And again, I can't explain it, but they've done everything they can to explain it away. They said, oh, no, 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 Jesus didn't die. He swooned. It's as if he fainted in the midst of all the trauma. They put him in this cold grave, and somehow the moisture in the grave revitalized his body, and he came back to life. You tell that to a a toothless Roman soldier who got his teeth knocked out in battle. You tell that to a Roman soldier, he'll take his spear and stick it in your side and ask if you're going to die or not. Because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. They were experts at execution. The Romans conquered the known world of that day because they knew how to kill people. They knew what death looked like. It wasn't something that was mysterious to them. So Jesus did not swoon. Some people have said that, well, no, no, no. The disciples went and stole his body. You've got to remember also there were Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. There was a boulder in front of the tomb. There was no stealing the body. Or it would mean killing them. Or if that soldier were to let them steal the body, it meant his life would be gone. And that wasn't going to happen. And you've got to realize this, that even the disciples didn't believe in the resurrection at that moment. Three days into it, Jesus said he would come back to life. Where were they on Easter morning? They were over here scared for their life, half of them denying Christ. None of them showed up at the Easter resurrection Sunday in pastels and Easter egg baskets ready to welcome Jesus back to earth. They didn't even believe in Jesus. And those ladies who went to 
continue the embalming process of Jesus, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. Nobody was anticipating what happened on that Sunday morning. Because never before had it happened where one person had died and that person in his own power and the power of God came back to life. That had never happened before. It was unheard of. It was absurd to think about. But something happened on that day that he proved that he could conquer death. He proved it. He proved it again and again. For 40 days he proved it. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking the kingdom of God. There was no doubt. It wasn't just like you saw a shadow of Jesus and it was some hallucination and he went by. For 40 days he's walking and talking and teaching and giving proofs of his life. Not only that, in one occurrence of time, 500 people saw him at one time. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now people have said, oh, that's a hallucination. Now, I'm sorry. Never in psychology history have they ever been able to substantiate 500 people on one occurrence having the same hallucinating experience of different cultures and different ideas and different dreams and different languages. And all coming and collaborating on one story. Never before. This was a physical resurrected Christ. We live today and we are here today and we celebrate today because we are worshiping the one who faces death, the one who conquers death. Is there a little amen in the room? Because that is an amazing story. And I know the probability... The probability of that ever happening is so beyond our rational minds. It's interesting when in April 2002, an Oxford University philosopher, Professor Richard Swinburne, and, I, and again, I'm speaking about something way beyond my educational or pace scale or anything like that, applied, accepted theorem of probability, Bayes' theorem of probability. He applied it over the life of Christ and he applied it over the resurrection. He presents this paper to Yale University. So we're not talking about some Sunday school in some backwood country church here. An Oxford professor presenting a paper to Yale University that was picked up by the New York Times and was published. And this is what he said. He said, if someone dead for 36 hours comes to life again, speaking of Christ is extremely improbable. I think we could all agree with that. But if there is a God of a traditional kind, natural laws only operate because He makes them. And what what Professor Swinburne begins to do is he begins to overlay into this Bayes' theorem and assigning values to the probability that, that maybe God is real. Okay, is, is there a possibility that God is real. He, he lays that value on that. And then he overlays a value on the life and the ministry of Christ and, you know, all the visual testimonies and all the historical accounts. He just lays that on top of that. And he just begins to lay layers and layers on top of, of all these different things and develops this probability. Of, is it possible that 
that a man came, lived, died, lived as he lived, and died and rose again? Is it probable? And when he allied values to all of these things, this theorem came out and said 97% probability that the resurrection really happened. When you look at 500 witnesses, when you look at 40 days, and you look at the proofs again and again, and all the historical data that we have, yes, it must have happened. Now, I was eight years old. And I was not dealing drugs in the sandbox at eight. But, and it didn't take a probability study from a professor from Oxford. In fact, it was about ten miles that way in a country church with an uneducated pastor who stood up one day and he just shared in a simplistic kind of way as, as he could. A passage a lot like the Romans 10 passage that said that that if I confessed with my mouth and, and I believed in my heart, well, here's what it says. It says that if, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And there was something that happened to me on that day. And then I went home and with my mother at the kitchen table on 5th Street in Rogers, I, as an 8-year-old, and only an 8-year-old could, I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The risen Jesus Christ. And I'm banking. I'm betting. I'm living my life. Not on some probability studied by some professor. But on faith that Jesus is the real deal. And at the end of the day, everyone in this room has to determine, is Jesus the real deal to you? Or is this just a religious hocus-pocus act that we're going through? Think about it. Jesus didn't fear death. He faced it. Jesus, when He experienced it, He overcame it. He conquered it. But there's another reality that we can come to today, is that Jesus didn't live to die. He died that we might live. That's the third reality. He didn't live to die. Now, there's a lot of people, and you know people, and I used to live like this kind of crazy lifestyle that just live to die. Just live to die. You know, you're here today, and you just live your life and live it up and live it to the max and live it to the hilt and all that kind of stuff because, after all, we're all going to die. And it's the guy who gets to the end and has the most toys, he wins, right? So just live it up, party hard, life count here on earth. Sometimes though we get caught in all of that belief system and we get caught in it and it just all starts falling apart and it's hard to think about the sweet by and by when we're living in the nasty now and now. We think, how do I, how do I push through all of this? And this is the life that I'm living. Is there not more to this? And I want to say yes. There's so much more to this. And that's the reality when you step from mortality and that reality and you go into immortality and you realize that, hey, there is a bigger picture. It's not just the box of my life. I'm not just bookends where I have a beginning date and an ending date and it will go on my tombstone. And those are the bookends of my life. And that's the summary of my life. Because you think about it, when you die, your stuff's going in a box or going to a garage sale. And that's about it. And then your body's going to go out to a place, a big plot of land, 
and, and then you're going to be put in the ground, and there's going to be put somebody at your head, and all it's going to say is it's going to say your name, your birth, and your death, and that's it. Unless there's more. Unless there's more. And I think what Jesus shows us is that, that He died that we might live. He died to give us so much more. That's why, that's why in Psalmist when He says, teach me, teach me the, the brevity, to realize the brevity of life. I mean, the writers of the Bible understood that life is so short. That's why James, he says, it's but a vapor and it goes away. Life is so short. And if you're just living for this moment, you are living so incomplete and so unfulfilled of what it could possibly be. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And this came to me just this past week, and it may not mean as much to you as it meant to me, but just hear me what I'm about to say. I think I began to understand it this week. The life that God has planned for Mike McDaniel. And this is my life, okay, the beginning and the ending. All the life, all the abundant life that he has for me can't be contained in this mortal shell. There is so much stinking more he has for me that even when the shell gives up and is finished and done, there's so much more. It can't be contained here. The life in which he's giving us. That's why Paul, when he said in Philippians 1.21, he said, for me to die, it's gain. It's better on the other side. You can't contain the life that God wants me to live. That's why living and dying is such a futile, empty, meaningless, vain life. Let's live life to the fullest, the way that God wanted us to live. If anybody understood death, Job understood death. When he lost his children. Yet Job, in the midst of his pain and sorrow and mourning, said this, I know that my Redeemer lives. He didn't call him Jesus. Jesus wasn't revealed at that point. He just calls him Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer lives. And He will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body is destroyed, is decayed, yet in my body I will see God. So what's that mean? My body is going to decay, but my body will see God? Because this life can't contain all of life. There's so much more to life. And so whenever we see a death of a loved one, when we experience that, it is that life is not over. Life is ongoing. It's not finished. And we celebrate it today. Again, I come back to this full circle. We celebrate it next Sunday and the next Sunday because life isn't this life alone. It is so much more. When Martha was still in a state of mourning and it just literally wrapped up the body of Lazarus just four days before and put him into the tomb, she she could still remember. Imagine this. The image was still very much fresh on her mind knowing that Lazarus had just died. And you know what Jesus had the audacity to say to her? John eleven twenty six. he says, Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 
buried my brother. And you're telling me that he who believes in me will never die? Because Jesus understood something that Martha didn't understand. And I'm afraid we're a lot like Martha. And we don't get the big picture. It's not about this life. It's about all of life. It's not that death ends it. In fact, I'll say this. And it's worth remembering. Death isn't the end. It's only the beginning. It's only the end of the beginning. Death isn't the end. It's only the end of the beginning. Because life keeps going. I share this story with you today by permission of Amanda Tice. Amanda and and Rob have gone through something, and many of you all know this and are part of our church family, but some do not, and so a brief overview. Johnny Tice and the the family moved down from Michigan about a year ago, uh, and they were finding their place in their home right here at Grace Point. They'd gone last May through our first North Point new members class in May, and they did not come back to the second North Point new members class because something had happened during that week that would forever change their life. Johnny was diagnosed that week. They went to Children's Hospital with a very rare, only about 500 cases are known throughout the United States in a year's time, but a rare DIPG cancer that was in the ponds of his brain, in the center of his brain that affects the involuntary uh, systems of our of our body, telling you to breathe, telling you to blink your eyes, telling you to, to do different things that you don't even think that are going on because, again, they're involuntary. They just happen. Well, this past week, on Thursday, Johnny went from this life into eternal life. And what an amazing journey that they have been on that has not been easy. It's not been easy at all in talking with Amanda over the course of the past year because it's been just under a year now that they got diagnosed and immediately when you're diagnosed with this cancer you're immediately stage 4 cancer they, they, they received 30 treatments of radiation the most that any body can experience in a lifetime they experienced over the past year uh, Johnny experienced it in his body and as they progressively got on into the situation of their, of their new reality Um, Amanda had some conversations that she had had in her childhood with Johnny. She talked about how Jesus was in her heart when she was growing up, and she kind of considered this special place inside of her heart as a special place where God was. Very biblical. And so she told Johnny about this, and she said, I want you to close your eyes, Johnny, and I want you to visualize, can you see God there in that special place of your heart? So he closed his eyes, and he said, yes, I see God. What's he saying? He said, he's smiling. He's not saying anything. He's smiling. And of course, some of you all again know the story, so I can't tell the whole thing, but Johnny was a believer. Johnny was actually baptized in, in, in our church. It was, a, again, a beautiful story. Johnny and Robbie on the same day, and Rob, Dad, baptized him. It was beautiful. But it was still the reality of his mortality in the body that was facing them. And so, again, the story continued on. And another night, they were sitting on the bed, beside the bed, with, uh, with Johnny and Amanda was there and said, and they were talking about heaven. They were talking about dying and the reality of that. And, and, and Johnny 
then talked again about about uh, Amanda talked to Johnny again about going to that special place in her in, in, in his heart, and so he he closed his eyes and he went there. He says, "I see Jesus again." And uh, is he saying anything? Amanda said. I said he is. He's saying, "Come here, come be with me." And uh, that was the first time that Johnny, in that whole situation, has experienced that sense of joy and that sense of. It's going to be okay. And Amanda reached a moment on that day that she knew she was going to see Johnny go to be with Jesus. And from that day forward, it has been many hills and valleys, and there will be many more hills and valleys, as you can only imagine, in their life. But a beautiful reality is that when this past Thursday Johnny stepped into this immortality state, it was something that, as a as a seven year old boy, eight year old boy, when they found seven year olds when they found out, eight year old when he passed away, that he knew that he had a reality awaiting him. And the sad part about humanity, and maybe even in this room right now, is that there's a lot of people who are still living mortal lives, living to die, and that's all they have. This day, this day was not meant for that. This day was for you to step from mortality to immortality because you align yourself and you enter into a relationship with the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Would you pray with me? Father, Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us victory over death, hell, and the grave. And God, in no way can we callously, flippantly come in here this Sunday or any other Sunday that we celebrate your resurrection and just assume it's ours because we're who we are because we went through some religious ritual or because we said some religious formula prayer. But Lord, it's because we're in relationship with You that we can move from this world into the next world and not skip a beat. Though the loss for the family is still here as the Tice family is experiencing in this very moment and we lift them up collectively as a body that You would embrace them in their mourning. Lord, is what they're calling a celebration healing service. It's just that. He is stepping, he has stepped from his mortal, sick body into the immortal reality of you, Jesus. And we're betting our life on this, Lord. And we're basing it on Scripture. And so, Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you today, would you help them? Be bold enough to step out and say, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. And Lord, give their life fully to You.